when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Over Everything podcast. I'm your host, William Lou, And on this week's episode, we have a very special guest in Michael Grange of Sportsnet. Michael, first off, have you been waking up at 6 a.m. to uh, watch the Raptors play preseason in Japan against the Houston Rockets? Uh, we actually we broadcast them on Sportsnet, so it's kind of doing uh, some panel stuff in the studio. And... Um, yeah, so it was, uh, I would have been watching anyway, but it was it was kind of kind of interesting. I thought a lot of encouraging signs. I mean, um, not a lot of discouraging ones, um, but you know, some of the key characters people are expecting. I'm sure the Raptors are hoping to kind of step up and and keep the train rolling a little bit, even in the absence of Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green. Look like they're they're on track to uh, give it a shot, a shot anyway. And, uh, you know, some interesting new faces there and, and, and not, not too many uh, red flags that I can see. Yeah, for sure. I feel like the, the level of uh, competitiveness with this group is, I wouldn't say surprisingly high, because obviously these guys are accomplished guys. Or, you know, half the team is reigning champions and things like this. But, uh, you know, I think the depth really stands out. I think the, the youth of the team really stands out. They're very energetic. They're athletic on defense. And, you know, it's kind of funny actually watching um, James Harden today run pick and rolls where he's getting originally guarded by OG Ananobi and, and Pascal Siakam. And then he gets a screen, he gets a switch, and it's like Pat McCaw or like Norm Powell or like Fred Van Vliet. Still guys who are very good defenders. And it's just, it's just I think that's going to be the root of the team. Once they figure out everything else in terms of like help defense, things like that, this team's going to be very, very good defensively. And as long as they can defend, um, they're going to be able to, uh, you know, definitely win games. And offensively, I have a little bit more of a concern, but um, at least defensively, they, they look to be pretty promising. Uh, offensively, though, um, what are you seeing in terms of Pascal as a number one guy so far? Are you seeing anything that different from him uh, in these two preseason games as compared to how he played last year? Uh, it'd be like, it like a drastic departure, but he does seem to be uh... – Focusing on, you know, getting off the ball when that second defender comes. He, he looks like he's trying to rehearse the necessary steps uh, that somebody who's going to be at his uh, spot on the pecking order offensively. Um, you know, sometimes players in that situation they they have to go through a stage in their careers where they kind of they kind of force and they you know we saw Demar Derozan maybe go through that where it took him a while to learn. Uh, how important it was for him to be a playmaker. And I would argue, you know, the last couple of years in Toronto and definitely uh, his last year and last year in, in San Antonio was, he's as, you know, he's as good a playmaker as there is in the league among the primary scorers, or he's in the top tier of that. And so I guess the question is, 
can Siakam kind of skip that step? Can he can he transition from being a guy who's relied on to score in tough situations, um, and but also kind of very quickly make those decisions between you know forcing his offense a little bit and and finding guys. And uh, you know, so I saw some some encouraging indications of that. And I think the other question for me is, can he do what's going to be expected of him? Um, you know, the guy's going to have the ball, maybe a higher usage rate, and still, uh, you know, run the floor and be that terror in transition, which is almost the trademark or what's his trademark, um, you know, until until most of last year. And will he have enough energy to be in spots, if not for his whole 35, 38 minutes, be, a, you know, a high-energy defender? And, and again, you know, early days, but uh, I certainly didn't see any uh, red flags in that respect. Uh, in terms of red flags, is is it a concern to you at all that Marcus Saul and Kyle Lowry came into camp uh, a little bit slower? Kyle, his situation we'll discuss uh, in a moment. Um, obviously, there was you know maybe some other factors that sort of influenced that. Um, are you concerned at all that they started out slow? Not a bit, not a bit. I mean, I think uh, they still have you know they'll get back from Japan, uh, I believe Saturday. And, you know, they'll still have nearly two weeks of practice before they have to open. I presume that exhibition game they play in uh, in Brooklyn will kind of be a key one for them to target. But, you know, this is the benefit of having an extra two, two and a half months of playing together in the most, you know, the, the hottest, most demanding crucible the sport has. And, you know, they, they I don't think it should take them long to pick it up. And they're better better off making sure they're healthy, engaged, and and ready when the time comes. Yeah, for sure. And it, and to the point of uh, Mark and Kyle, I thought Serge might also start out slow too because he's the other thirty year old in the team. But uh, Serge has looked really really sharp starting out uh, preseason. It's uh, I thought honestly Nick Nurse might have been blowing a bit of hot air in training camp, but he says like you know Serge has been killing it out there. But I don't know, man. Serge looks uh, very rejuvenated, and that's 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 encouraging to see just because they're going to need all the veterans to be pretty good uh, in this coming season for them to have a successful season. In terms of the starting lineup, how do you sort of see that shaking out right now? Because I can almost see a case right now where Serge might start out the season at center over Mark just because of how much sharper Serge is at the moment. Yeah, I think that's that's a possibility. Um, it's funny. There's so much talk about you know Serge and JV flip-flopping roles this time last year and 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 a, a lot of that just kind of you know there's a bit of that when Gasol arrived by trade but a lot of it kind of went out the window when you know Serge got that suspension and Gasol like, pretty much started every game after that and and I think a lot of it was just there was so little time to acclimatize everyone they just kind of went with efficiency more than anything else and so I think you know with the way Serge is playing and you're right I mean he's He's almost he's never really looked better. He I think he is growing his game. Like he's a more versatile player now than he was two years ago. Um and Gasol coming in, uh maybe again you're gonna have to wanna wanna manage his energy this, for this length of the season. Maybe Gasol and, and, and Serge end up flip flopping in a way that, that they were envisioning a year ago with J V and him. And and uh, you know, it all works to the Raptors' benefit. I, I think Again, like they've got a ring, and I think Serge talked in training camp about 
you know, how he's kind of really learned and accepted how to play kind of in a broader concept of the team, not just on the floor, but off the floor. And so I think Nick Nurse will have a lot of trust when it comes to uh, employing any kind of lineup. So, you know, so you could be right there. Yeah, and I feel like honestly, you can't really go too much wrong with either guy in that in that slot, just because they're they're both capable. They're both starting caliber guys, and um, they're both capable of helping both the starters and the bench. So I, I don't really mind if Nurse uh, flips that around a little bit. In terms of the other starting spots, um, Norm had a really good game today. Uh, I think Norm has an inside track really at the two spot. Uh, what do you think about that? I think he's the obvious choice, right? Like it just makes everything else simple. Everything else slots in well behind that. Um, you know, Fred Van Vliet, like, he might not like it. I'm sure he, he you know, wants to start. But, you know, I, I just don't know if it, it – I think this team is going to need a very good second unit. And I think offensively that second unit could struggle a little bit depending who's part of it. Um, but so you definitely want Fred out there with that group. And, of course, I'm sure he'll be part of almost any finishing lineup. But, you know – Norm Powell, like, he's still pretty young in his career. And is he going to be the three-point shooter Danny Green was? No, because Danny Green's as good as there is in the sport. But, you know, twice out of four years, he's been a 40% three-point shooter in his career. He's certainly capable of being, and he is. He is a guy that defenses have to respect. You saw that this morning. He was 5 or 7 from deep. I think he looks good when he shoots the ball from three. Um, It's more of a mental thing with him. And so let's accept that he is going to be, you know, a, a good to very good three-point shooter. So not quite at Danny Green level, but within shouting distance. And then you combine that with, you know, what he can bring as, as a slasher, as a creator, as a tr- transition player. And you can make the case that he could be an upgrade on Danny Green. I mean, it's a lot to ask, but it's not completely inconceivable. And, um, you know, and I think for Powell, the time is right. I think, um, you know, he needs to stay healthy. He needs to have one of those years where he plays 75 games and doesn't have any setbacks that way. And if he does, I think you've got the best chance of seeing the best of Norm Powell. And, and if he can kind of be something like he was today more often and just avoid those games where he's completely lost out there, um, yeah, you're going to have a stinker once in a while, but he can't have them for weeks at a time. Then, uh, then I think that's a huge factor because he is offers them a lot more offensively. Uh, you know, he's a more dynamic option than, than Danny Green was, and, and as we said, it allows Fred VanVleet to slot down and and really kind of bring along a, a second unit that's going to be important. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think Norm at the two is uh, a much more of a lock than I would say someone like OG at three. And I like OG's fit at three just in the sense that you need somebody on that starting lineup who can take the toughest defensive assignment every night. And I think OG is one of, if not the best, uh, at least on-ball defender uh, on the Raptors in terms of just his switchability. He can do a lot of things. Uh, obviously, he has size, so he can handle some of the bigger threes and the bigger twos that you know maybe someone like Norm wouldn't be equipped to do. Um but also offensively, I think people are maybe expecting a little bit too much out of um, OG offensively, so they might be disappointed. But I, I kind of still see him as sort of more of a fourth and fifth option. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on the starting three position? I, I think 100%. And, and it's going to be interesting because, you know, the Raptors really like to develop their guys and, and 
give them options and, and allow them to become kind of all-around players. But I haven't really seen in fairly limited viewing on you over the last two and a half years uh, where OG doesn't look like that kind of player to me. And I think he's a guy is the narrower his lane offensively and the more enthusiasm he has for it and then applies, you know, but, but, but kind of commits to being a guy who plays with a greater level of energy uh, on both ends of the floor at the glass in passing lanes, in transition, um, the better he can be. You know, I, I just don't watch him and go, wow, there's a huge ceiling for him to be a creative ball handling, uh, you know, primary option offensively. I, I, I could be wrong. You know, things happen, but I don't see it. But uh, that doesn't mean he can't be even – look, he, he, his chance to be an impactful NBA player, NBA player is not – is to be – just a super high-end energy guy, just a superstar-type role player. And if he commits to that, then his, that's where the sky's the limit for me. Whereas if he kind of gets confused and, and wants to sort of, uh, you know, have the ball in his hands all the time, and, and I just don't think it's going to work all that well. So, so um, you know, again I, again, I don't know what people's expectations are. I don't see a guy who can be a really – um, impactful primary offensive weapon, but can he catch and shoot? Yes. And I really want him to be way more effective, way more active, crashing the glass, in lanes, just being a disruptor. And if he applies himself that way, then he can, he can really change games. Yeah, I think it was Dwayne Casey that first said uh, his hope for OG was basically to be uh, a P.J. Tucker type, which I think a lot of people at the time was like, well, it's kind of limiting a ceiling but i mean hey if he comes becomes pj tucker that's that's a really good player all right uh let's talk about this kyle lowry report uh that you uh put out after kyle lowry agreed to a one-year extension beyond his current deal uh worth about 31 million dollars uh, the story is up on Sportsnet. it's called raptor snuff out potential holdout with kyle lowry extension um first off what did lowry want uh out of the deal uh, and sort of what was his sort of motivation like what was he looking for well, I think it started off, you know, you always ask high. And I think he was kind of hoping, wishing, you know, a two- or three-year deal, something that would kind of uh, necessarily take him into retirement. I think, Kyle, I think Kyle wants to play till he's 40, but would really kind of maximize his opportunity as a really high-end uh, wage earner in the NBA. And, you know, there's zero chance that was going to happen in Toronto. Like, like there was no chance that they were going to uh, – you know, sign Kyle Lowry to a deal that would extend deeply into their cap picture post next season. Um, you know, but, you know, I don't think there was any interest in, in Kyle Lowry not playing with the Raptors than the Raptors not having, fielding a competitive team this year and on and on. And so there had to be some kind of compromise reached. But uh, I, I think, um, I do think that, that, had they shut the door on any kind of extension, um, you know, it could got really ugly. It kind of got really ugly, and a lot of the goodwill um, that had been built up justifiably for what Lowry has done for the team and franchise the last six years, certainly in the last six months, you know, it would have uh, would have put a little bit of shade on it, um, you know. But but I think uh, the side jury read the situation very well, and I think 
Lowry to the extent where he did have leverage, um, you know, I think he came out of it pretty well. It's awesome. Yeah, I, I think Lowry was very smart and opportunistic in the sense that um, – you just look at a franchise like the Raptors, right? Like, yes, the, the the goodwill for that Lowry wants to maintain is is important, and I think he wants to stay here. But at the same time, if you look at it from the Raptors' perspective, this is a team that has uh, lost a lot of star players. And I wouldn't say 34-year-old Kyle Lowry is a star player necessarily, um, but, you know, it, it's still a team that has had a lot of players leave on pretty bad terms. And he, basically he looked at it like, you know, uh, you don't you don't want another guy slipping through the cracks until he did he did have um, leverage there. So, in terms of you, you wrote that you know there was a chance that Kyle Lowry might have held out, which I, I would only I, I guess it's not a pushing back on the reporting. It's just sort of I look at it like the Raptors are going to be unveiling the banner. They're going to be handing out rings. I, I could I have a hard time seeing him sit out that first game. Uh, in terms of a, like a holdout type of situation, like what what would that have looked like? It would have looked like what you saw in training camp, right? Because the, the thumb injury kind of gave it the, the, the veil of, uh, you know, this is an injury type situation, right? And, um, you know, but Larry himself, like this is the timeline, right? Like he, he, he played, first of all, he played through the injury. Like it wasn't like this hand fracture that, you know, he needed, you know, it was a fairly simple thumb injury that Fred VanVleet was back after three weeks, including a surgery. So he had the surgery July 18th. His target at that time was to play for Team USA, went to camp with Team USA, he never actually got on the floor, but, um, you know, was, I think, believed he'd be able to play in Japan. Um, you know, he was playing golf since his hand injury, since his thumb injury. So, like, he was healed. And he revealed in an interview with Kate Burnett of TSN uh, on media day that he had been cleared to play. So, you know, this idea that that uh, he was actually not able to play because of the injury, I mean, it was semantics. He was, he was not going to play until he had an extension. And so had that gone to its limit, um, I think, you know, it could have got – Nessier and Nessier as it went on. I mean, you were there in, in Quebec City, and there was 20 players in training camp. 19 of them made themselves available to be introduced to the crowd, including Marcus Hall, who didn't play in an interest game, and Kyle Lowry, who was in the building, was not. So, you know, it's little things like that and just signals that, you know, he's not going to play nice until he gets what he wants. Um, and had that pushed it all the way to the limit to opening night. I mean, I presume he would have been on the floor and got his ring and, and all that, but I don't think he would have been playing. Hmm. Um, and who knows where it would have gone. So I, I don't think that, that um, you know, I, I, think, I think Kyle was, who knows, right, like exactly how prepared he was, but I know that uh, in his circle that had been something that had been discussed. Do you think after reaching this deal, uh, there is a sense of goodwill on both sides in terms of both um, Kyle meeting the Raptors' needs of not eating into the cap space for 2021 and also on the side of the player where Kyle obviously gets taken care of? That's a lot of money for him, and it's a good bag. Uh, and also even in the sense of, you know, you satisfy a big agent like Mark Bartlestein who, you know, just uh, just putting it out there, he also represents Bradley Beal. Uh, and, you know, Bartlestein did say some very flattering things about uh, Masai and Bobby Webster in the front office in terms of how they uh, how they ultimately reached the deal. 
I mean, I think it just checks off a lot of boxes, right? And, um, you know, I think I think you have an organization that took a lot of heat uh, when they traded DeMar DeRozan. It was a very cold-blooded move. It was the right move. Um, but it was, you know, it wasn't – people noticed that. And there was a lot of rhetoric around, rhetoric around that how that had damaged – um, you know, DeMar DeRozan is a, is a well-loved guy in the NBA. And for him and Aaron, Gore, Aaron Goodwin to be kind of uh, saying they were lied to and all the rest of that, you know, I would say Masai's stock at that time was pretty low um, in terms of the kind of stuff you're talking about. So to get into a war with, with Kyle Lowry uh, just one year later and, months after they win a title and he plays two months or two the last 13 games with needing surgery on his hand and the rest of that, I mean, it would have been a tough look. So, and I think what really made it most possible was 2020 summer of the Raptors have a ton of cap space and they don't really have anywhere to spend it. So, um, you know, so I mean, you know, they can, they could take care of Kyle without hamstringing themselves in any significant way. And, and from Kyle's point of view, you know, he had leverage in this environment because of the goodwill, because the need for this team to be competitive um, in their first year of a title defense and the rest of that. But, you know, if he really pushed it to the limit and all of a sudden they do trade him, um, you know, he has no leverage in his new environment, right? Like right. he goes there and, and, and he's a rental and he's a free agent next summer. Is he getting $30 million? He might get that over two years, but he's not getting it in one year. And so I think, you know, he recognized that this was a good opportunity for him, too. Yeah, for sure. Um, two more questions on the Kyle thing. One, do you feel like uh, there was any sort of wink-wink or sort of informal handshake with the understanding that Kyle might take a cheaper deal after this is up? Uh, or do you feel like Kyle's the kind of guy where it's like, hey, man, the contract's a contract. Uh, you know, if I get something else, I might get something else. Well, uh, if there was a wink, wink, I mean that's pretty illegal, right? Yeah. So uh, I don't know about that, but but I mean I think um, I think Kyle is he's a he's not a sentimental guy like he is like he's a good human in his personal life, but when it comes to business, yeah, it's he business. is business, yeah. and um, so I think he's going to press every advantage at every turn, um, you know, and and you know, but in this totality of it, and and what what is his best opportunity? Um, so, so short answer is I don't know, and it'll be interesting to see what choices Kyle makes after next season. And, 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 you know, but I think there's goodwill all around. Like, I mean, the one thing that I think this deal does is if they do end up trying to trade Kyle Lowry, I'm not convinced that they wouldn't trade him this season, hmm. um, depending on uh, the trajectory of this team. I don't think there's no guarantee. There was no guarantee made just because they signed the extension that they wouldn't, uh, you know, like if this team ends up injury-ridden and kind of out of the race or whatever it might be, um, you know, I think I think I think that anything is possible. So this doesn't preclude that, but I think or next this time next year in the off season. But I think what it does do is whatever happens if Kyle ends up leaving as free agent, if he ends up being traded, um, you know, or if you do end up saying, "Listen, Kyle, we bring you back. We want you here forever." but we can't pay you this kind of money. Almost like he's a Udonis Haslam type situation. I mean, not to that extreme where he doesn't play, but, um, you know, but we'll, we'd love to have you for three years at 30 million, whatever it is. I think all those things are possible. And I think, 
hopefully you've avoided any situation where Kyle Lowry, you know, leaves Toronto and, and anything other than feeling he's been treated first class. And I think for the franchise that's important because uh, he deserves it. He's left everything um, he had to offer on the floor at all times. The team's never had a more successful – like, like. not only did they win a title, I mean, you could argue that seven, what, six straight playoff appearances, probably seven this year. That's as successful as any team in Toronto's ever been. Yeah. Uh, maybe going back to Jays of the late 80s and the 90s, early 90s. So, um, or the Leafs in the 60s. I mean, I mean, it's a really kind of historic stretch of the franchise. He's the reason for it as much as any other player or more. And uh, that's somebody you want to, every time he's back in your building, you want it to be a warm thing. And, uh, you know, hopefully it's 3-1 million. Uh, you know, that's enough to cuddle up with at night. Yeah, for sure. Um, in terms of the bigger picture, how does the Lowry contract affect, uh, well, let's first talk about Pascal and then we talk about Fred. Uh, in terms of Pascal, obviously he's up for an extension. It's been reported that his camp wants a maximum contract, which makes sense. He's almost at that level, and you know players get paid on potential and things like this. Um, for Pascal, what's the risk reward of locking him right now for max money and max terms versus sort of less money and less term on an offer sheet next year, but uh, open up some cap room? I think from the team's point of view, the only risk is. You know, you kind of alienate a guy who is arguably going to be your cornerstone um, if you choose to build on him. And, you know, these little things, like how much do they really matter, you don't know. But, you know, you kind of mess around with them a little bit, and they just give you uh, a guy an excuse, a reason um, to to look elsewhere or to, to sort of um, – you know, if you're if you're not 100 committed to me, why am I 100 committed to you? And how that manifests itself, like I don't, you don't know, but it just opens that door. Mm-hmm. That's the only risk. I think from a business point of view, as you know well, know well, the right move is not to sign him. Like that is, that if you're just doing it from what is you know general manager 101, the 100 right move is to thank you very much, um, prove it, do it again. We'll, we'll give you the max next summer. We'll match whatever offer sheet. And, uh, you know, we'll t- and in the meantime, we'll preserve our cap space so that if somebody is available, um, maybe not necessarily to sign, but to, to deal in it, you know, to take on and trade, then we're going to do that. And that'll make us a better team with you on it next year. So that, that's to me is, 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 is you know, the, the kind of, no-brainer way to approach this. And by the way, if we so if we do want to sign you, we would expect a bit of a discount because we've only really done this for one year. So right. and and uh, and also, if you happen to a struggle as a primary option, well, maybe you're not a max player, and um, you know, and we'll sign you to a little bit less than that. So, so I think that's that's the calculus of it. Um, and you know, we'll see we'll see where what they settle on. Yeah, I feel like this is one of those things that will probably... I, mean, I will say, well, I, yeah? I don't think they're very far apart, so it's not like okay. there's some cavern cap um, that can't be, you know, it's not like, you know, he wants max and they're offering him $20 million over four years or something. I think it's I think it's a lot closer than that, but uh, it's probably more the timing uh, of, of signing him than, than the amount. Right. 
for sure. Um, do you feel like because they signed that deal with Lowry, uh, which ate up a lot of their cap space uh, next summer, does that kind of reflect their intention in terms of not wanting to do as much in terms of free agency or maybe in terms of using that cap space for trade? Or do you feel like that actually makes it a bigger reason to preserve the cap because Kyle Lowry is eating so much of it? And then that maybe factors into delaying the the, the, the extension. I guess, I guess the latter, right? Like, I think, I think, I think, you know, on one level, you know, signing Kyle Lowry, it's like, okay, if you're going to take care of the past, you better take care of the future too. Yep. Um, but, but on the other, um, you know, for the moment, Kyle Lowry is going to be on your books next summer. You have that. I think you're down to 28 million in cap space. I think I can't remember off the top of my head, but it, you know, you're more limited. Um, so, you know, if you put Pascal Siakam on the books too, then all of a sudden you're you're you know you're I think you're almost done cap space wise. So um, you know I think I think it probably increases the likelihood that, that Pascal doesn't get done. But um, you know again, uh, all of this was done in terms of signing Kyle and all that with the idea that there probably wasn't a lot of use for that cap space anyway. So, uh, you know, it's not like they necessarily pay themselves in a corner. Right, for sure. And then in terms of Fred, um, does this sort of set the market for him in a way that sort of cuts against the Raptors? Or is it also a situation where it's really not about Kyle? It's just he needs to show that he's the level of a starting point guard uh, and that, you know, the Raptors need to see that value and sort of uh, pay him accordingly in the offseason. Yeah, I I think – you know, again, I mean, I'm not 100% convinced Kyle's here for both those years. Um, I think Fred is in a good position to, uh, to find a deal for himself. Um, but, you know, I, I think Fred's in a situation, too, where, like, he's got to prove himself also. I mean, as good as he's been in his career, um, you know, how comfortable would the Raptors be they to sign him for four years and you know fifteen million dollars and he made and then he is at that point pretty much your starter. Um, you know I think there's the jury's still out on that, not because he's not a great player, but you know I just think that there's some concerns about would he be able to handle the load uh, as a as a full time starter. So I think you know I think. Uh, Arguably, if they were more confident in that, maybe they wouldn't have signed Kyle for that two-year deal. I don't know the, the extension, but but uh, I, I think in the end they'll find a way, and and but I, I can't predict exactly what that way will be to be honest. Right. Um, if we look at the bigger picture, so it seems like the Raptors definitely has some ambitions in 2021. And if I'm just looking at the tea leaves right now, it looks like the plan is, or at least the sale in terms of 2021 free agents is, uh, you know, you we have Pascal here. He's going to be here whether he signs the extension now or later. He's going to be here. So you you get a chance to play with Pascal. You have, uh, you know, the front office has been proven to be very solid. Um, the organization has spent into the, uh, the tax, well, at least for a title-winning team. Um, you know, you have a couple of youngsters here. The team has shown an ability to sort of unearth youngsters that are going to be able to contribute while being really cheap. And you have uh, a max cap slot 
and maybe even potentially two, depending on how they treat their veterans. Is that sort of the Raptors' sell going to 2021, at least at the moment? I guess, I guess so. You know, I, I'm just a little a little skeptical that, that they're going to, you know, what they're capable of getting done in 2021 in free agency. I mean, the guys that would really move the needle are going to be really, really in demand. I mean, Giannis is most obvious, but Brad Beal, Rudy Gobert, I mean, those are, they're not just going to, you know, they're not, they're going to places where they can win championships, I would think. Um, and are the Raptors going to be there yet? Are going to be there? Because, and to me, that's why, you know, OG Ananobi is not only is he a big key figure for Endorm foul, but certainly OG Ananobi is a key figure not only for this season, but going into that, that, that stretch. Because if, Pascal, if it's Pascal Siakam and, you know, by that time you presume presume Marcus Hall's not in the picture. You presume Serge probably not in the picture. Presume Kyle's probably not in the picture. Um, you know, Pascal Siakam's good, but he's not LeBron, right? So yeah. I mean, um, you know, so so it's going to be him plus what? And so if it's uh, OG Ananobi is you know recognized as the you know the next PJ Tucker or whoever, some hybrid of Tucker and Kawhi Leonard or something. You know, somebody's got someone else has to pop, and preferably a couple of people need to pop. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and I think that their play really is going to be using that cap space uh, to to uh, acquire player players under contract and trade. I think that's more likely scenario than them. You know, I'd never say never, but I mean, than them. You know, kind of being the winner in the Giannis Antetokounmpo sweepstakes um, or whatever else might be on the table. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if we're going to be realistic about it, the Raptors have uh, not exactly been a huge free agent destination over the years. I, I believe I believe Damari Carroll still holds the record for the biggest signing uh, in franchise history, and it's either him or Hito Turkoglu. So, you know, it's, uh, yeah, we, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a show-me situation for sure. Um, I mean, I think one of the Raptors' best-selling points in this whole thing, it might be in terms of just, you know, what is Masai Ujiri going to be here uh, and sort of um, is he going to be with the franchise long term? Because that would be if I'm a free agent coming into 2021, which is also when I think the current deal Masai expires. Um, you know, I, I want to make sure Masai's here because that's obviously a big sell for the team. Um, my, my main question really is why hasn't Mas- uh, MLSC signed Masai to a lifetime deal yet? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I think they've, they've, you know, the last time prior to this Washington dalliance, I mean, the, the Knicks kind of made some noise and he was able to parlay that into a pretty lucrative extension. Um, I think, uh, you know, really, you know, he's in the upper tier of executives in terms of their, what, what he's paid. I think they're hugely committed to his foundation. They pretty much fund all the costs of it. Um, so he's, he's got a pretty good deal. He, you know, he really does. And, you know, the next job from here, you know, it's a little bit, people forget how highly thought of Brian Colangelo was at one point. But, you know, the jobs that you go to from here are, you know, Knicks, Golden State, Lakers, um, you know, arguably the Bulls or something. Like, like there's only four or five jobs you go go to from, from Toronto at this stage. Um, like, you're not going to Memphis. You know, you're not going to Cleveland. So I think I think that works in MLSC's favor. I mean, there's only so many destinations for them. 
Um, I, I presume as long as he wants to work here, it will not be money that holds him back. Um, I think it will really be ambition that would push him forward. In other words, you know, he's, he's done, you know, what a lot of people thought were impo- was impossible. He, he's, you know, I think his personal playoff streak is about 11 years if you go back to Denver. Um, he's, and not, it's not just squeakers, right? Like he's had 51 team after 51 team. He's won an NBA title. He's drafted, built. He's done everything he can do. And so really the only things left are, you know, you go to a place like the Knicks and, you know, you change history, right, again. So so I think, I think again, to make him uh, – they might not want to – like he might not want to be in anything for life. Like he is an ambitious guy with a global outlook. And, you know, you never know. Like he might want to go and run a, you know, uh, a soccer franchise. You know, like he might want to um, go and, and hook up with Obama and do something in Africa that's never been done before. So, um, you know, I don't think it's going to be money that, that is why he doesn't stay in Toronto. All right. Well, I, I would say personally, for me, I, I would feel a lot better if uh, if I heard the news tomorrow that that uh, Woj is tweeting that Masai Jerry signed a ten year contract with the Raptors. I, w- I would I would very much like that to happen. But uh, yeah, I completely agree. I, with I, you. I think they, I think they would have to give him ownership. Honestly, I think I think that's sort of you know uh, the you know the kind of stuff that would that would probably you know like it would probably have to be. Do you feel like there's any? like willingness or even flexibility there like if, if push came to shove right because you know there was talks that washington might have offered him ownership if push came to shove would mlsc look at that situation and say you know what we like Masai so much we understand Masai's so valuable that we will throw in a bit of the pie uh you know there's i really don't know i mean um you know there's two publicly traded companies and you know another major shareholders uh, shareholder and they would all have to agree um but it's it doesn't seem inconceivable to me, but it's also a, an unusual precedent to set, right? Where you, because part of the challenge for an organization like that is, you know, all of a sudden you're, you're, you're suggesting that there's one individual who's, you know, if he's not here, we can't do it. And it makes you look a little desperate, right? So I think, uh, you know, so I think that they're, they're quite reasonably, there's a reason those kind of deals don't get done very often and that's mm-hmm. because um no organization wants to kind of hamstring themselves like that all right well michael you got to run you got a busy schedule uh thanks a lot for coming on the podcast is there anything in particular you want to plug or you know anything like that no man uh, just uh just nope no plugging just thanks for having me on and uh and uh, we'll catch up to you later in the year i appreciate it When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.